Hi, my name is Julianne Nolan and I'm a director in the Financial Services Audit Department of Grand Thornton. And today I'm joined by Brian Lahan of Fundrex and Patrick Horgan of Validate Me to cover technology trends in the asset management industry. Technology is obviously fundamental in our industry. It helps increase the efficiency of our systems, products and service that we offer to our clients. And with technology, there is always the latest trend, whether it be smarter devices, clean technology, AI or trust architecture. So, Brian, if we start with immediate trends, what are customers looking for when sourcing technology solutions? I think, Julianne, um, something we're seeing a lot in the industry is, is clients wanting to do, do more with less. Um, I suppose there's a lot of a lot of pressure in terms of fees and getting people on board and all these types of things. So people are finding it difficult to be more productive with, with less FTE. Um, one of the things we're seeing a huge amount of is, is a kind of a push towards the, the no code, low code movement. Um, and it's something, something we're involved in ourselves, I suppose, and something we're on the goal face of, but it's for those who do won't have heard of it. Um, it's putting software solutions in the hands of business users um, so that they're able to automate processes themselves. So think about natural language rules, drag and drop functionality, we're able to automate workflows and automate processes without having a developer involved in the process. Because very often it's the business user who is at the core face of the problem and who knows the problem the best um and being able to put the the solution in their hands is very often the most efficient way to go about it so if we move on to resourcing it is obviously a key challenge for all businesses at the moment cso figures in august showed the unemployment rate stood at 4.3 percent there's a skills shortage in a number of sectors including finance and technology so how are your companies combating this challenge at the moment patrick if we come to you first yeah thanks julianne your talent acquisition um it's very challenging. I think we're we're still trying to figure out how to work in a, a somewhat post-COVID environment. Um, and this kind of definitely brings about, I suppose, uncertainty around expectations for, for staff and companies as well. And this is a, a recurring theme, I would say, we're finding um, at the moment. Um, and that's whether it's in Ireland or Europe or or in the US. It's it's um, when we're at different conferences, this is very much a recurring theme. Um, you, you touched on kind of skills shortages. Um, you know, that's right for myself and Brian in um, the world of technology and providing software solutions uh, to the asset management industry. There are, you know, that there simply is a skills shortage. Um, there, we would we would like there to be more engineers available. Um, and so th there's kind of multiple layers there, I would say there's working with, I, I think the good news, actually, there's some positives, you know, we find certainly in Ireland, universities are very receptive to feedback and, and steering around what kind of courses, um, and subjects to provide that will help produce, um, graduates that can kind of hit the ground running, uh, when they come come into industry um, and I think that's very positive. Um, beyond that, you know, I guess it's trying to um, it's trying to influence as well those um, those education uh, institutions. But of course, sometimes when you when you don't find talent at home, um, I, I, you know, I could share we do sometimes have to look overseas, which is which is unfortunate. But that is one of the tools we have in terms of bringing in contractors on a short term basis, whilst the kind of overarching 
policy, recruitment policy would to to bring in local hires on shore. But it's something we're having to to contend with. Um, and and you know it goes back to I suppose more root root you know if you look at the root causes well here how can we how can we inspire more people to um, to go into STEM related subjects and and that's something where we need to give some energy to as well I think. I think just to jump in there as well, Patrick. I think they're they're great points. Um, I think at a macro level. Going back to basics, going back to our university courses and gearing our gearing our, our our students towards what's happening in the market is a great idea. Um, I think we we spoke previously about the the course down in Limerick, um, the software development course, which is kind of a real vocational course, um, which is starting up, which really really does lend itself to what we're doing. I think at a I suppose at a more micro level, firms can really look at themselves as well and and how they go about um attracting talent in the market like i think we're working in financial services we are ourselves and patrick software companies but every company within the industry could almost see themselves as a bit of a a software development company at this stage there's always yep. elements of it internally um so we're all kind of chasing the same talent a little bit i think not that it's right for everyone, but being open to the new way of working really helps. Um, and it's not going to work for everyone, remote working and hybrid working, but we've tried to embrace it as much as we can. And I think we have we have people in six countries, we have teammates in six countries now at the moment, and it really does, it just really opens up your, your pool of possibilities. Um, and I suppose the other side of it is just creating the right environment. Um, like Ireland is a small enough market when it comes down to it and and reputations really spread quickly and if, you, if you're known for being a good place to work that offers its employees real you know good benefits good opportunities for teamwork good opportunities for collaboration to to really expand their own careers and take an interest in their careers it's going to spread you're going to get a name for it and uh and that that can be as good a recruitment tool as anything else as well. Yeah, Brian, one hundred percent. I'd echo that. It's um, it's not just the initial talent acquisition, right? It's the um, it's retaining talent as well. And I think you hit, you hit the notes there in terms of culture and and treating staff right. And you know, in many ways, it is an employees market at the moment. And and as I said, we're still look learning to kind of figure out how to 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 work together in this post covid world but look Absolutely. i think we we we'd acknowledge yeah brian that like you know ultimately it's it's the people we bring into our firms are the biggest differentiators and so it's it's that initial talent acquisition but then thereafter treating them right and 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 retaining talent is is key and as you said the market here in many ways can be um you know the ecosystem is quite connected and um I think that only encourages uh, the importance of making sure um, staff are are in an environment where they feel empowered and valued. Um, and I think that's a, a big differentiator. Thank you. And just to hit on two points that you both mentioned, I suppose companies are constantly striving to ensure they have the right policies in place to attract and retain talent, as you both said. And whether this be diversity and inclusion, mental health or well-being, 
And I read a recent statistic that said most computer science courses at university level have an 82% versus 17% gender split. So how are your companies dealing with the diversity challenge in terms of gender? Yeah, thanks, Julianne. It's, um, again, I'd say it's it's a challenge. Um, you know, my, myself and Brian were somewhat privileged in that we are, you know, as business leaders, we're in a position where we can clearly influence policy here and the approach. Um, and I guess, look, first of all, of course, it starts with our own recruitment policies, um, ensuring we're bringing in diverse talent across the firm. Um, and, you know, we can put targets against that, um, say, from a gender diversity perspective um, and start measuring that. Um, so first and foremost, it is actually, you know, quite very transparently putting some policies and, and targets in place. Um, but then I guess I guess taking more of a, a macro view and you know looking at some of the root causes here, you know, um there's some really impressive initiatives that we look to support. Um for example, um I wish um it's 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 a really impressive um it's a really impressive organization that where they're really I, I guess showcasing the power of uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, so STEM subjects to teenage girls. Um, and in many ways, it's about challenging the status quo about maybe, you know, traditional careers that maybe teenage girls might aspire to and and really highlighting choices for teenage girls and giving a platform to women who are in in leading roles in STEM related careers to help inspire uh, teenage girls. So th there's a number of initiatives like that. I wish is one of them. Um, but I think take, you know, beyond the internal kind of policies that we can take around recruitment. Um, trying to help at a more root cause level as well and helping to to introduce more choices I think at a more influential age um, as I mentioned there uh, teenage girls for example so there's some of the things that uh, that come to mind Julianne. Thanks Patrick and it's great to see those kind of initiatives being put in place um, in the industry so if we move on to regulation, I suppose many companies are struggling with the changing demands around regulatory reporting and compliance and to do these in a cost effective manner. So, Patrick, what technology solutions can be provided to assist with this challenge? Yeah, thanks, Julianne. Um, I guess, you know, in the industry regulation, it's it's a huge, huge topic, really. Um, there's it's so important to the industry, but of course there there's a, a large overhead that comes with that in terms of ensuring firms ensuring that they're uh, meeting their obligations and you know that their regulations are are far reaching you know in in Europe whether it's you know ESMA or MIFID two um, looking at the different kind of uh, fund um, fund vehicles be it USITs or if you know, FMD. Um, and then, you know, I guess, you know, for ourselves, for Validate Me, it's um, the regulation that, that you know, we're typically um, typically focused on with our clients is around AML and CFT, so anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism, um, as well as data privacy regulation. So, you know, broadly in, in Europe for AML and CFT, you're looking at the, the AML directive, um, in Europe and, and then in the US, you're looking at the Bank Secrecy Act, for example. And from a data privacy perspective, look, that's something we're all as consumers, um, you know, even going beyond the industry itself as consumers, we're a lot more uh, aware now around data privacy um, and, and you know, us, us being more aware of, of, of how we manage our data. 
So that's GDPR in Europe and, and the US is following suit with CCPA in California and now most of the other states are, are bringing forward data privacy laws as well. Um, so you mentioned, I think, you know, you know, the demands around kind of uh, reg reporting and, and compliance and, and doing it in a cost effective manner. And I guess in many ways, it does go back to some of the points we touched on earlier, which is empowering, you know, in, in this case, risk and compliance professionals to give them the tools they need to be able to do their reporting um, and evidence that they're meeting their obligations. And again, we, we would have seen before a huge dependence maybe on, you know, a software engineers or data scientists to pull together the right information to evidence that people are meeting their obligations um, or to pull out data to do the reporting itself. But we're seeing a big shift, you know, from a technology perspective in solutions now where it is allowing kind of self-service um, configurable reports. So, you know, how can you allow risk and compliance professionals build the reports they need to build given the data they have within their organization? And that's going back to that kind of low code no code self-service um highly configurable solutions that i think now um clients are expecting more and more so that's something um we're very mindful of in our own platform that there's just a huge expectation there and from a cost perspective it does go back to that removing the dependency on expensive engineers to pull together these reports when actually from um in terms of the knowledge there, the knowledge really lies with the business users and those subject matter experts. So being able to provide those, that tooling again to, to produce these reports in a, in a self-service manner, um, that's, that's really key. And, and I think um, whilst there's a long way to go for, for most, um, there's a long way to go, I would say, to, to get the industry to that point, it's certainly the direction of travel um, and I would say best of breed solutions are, are providing that optionality now, you know. Completely agree. Just to jump in, Patrick, I think it's probably a, a bit of a running theme in what we've discussed, but putting these tools in the hands of business users is, is where the real value comes out of this because there's something new coming every year in terms of regulation. And even with the regulations that exist, there's refits and new obligations and new checks being carried out where it's a slight tweak to what you've been doing already, you don't want to have to include a developer every time that happens because you're going to have endless hours of work for developers to do. Um, it's, it's putting flexible reporting solutions and flexible reconciliation solutions and in the hands of business users where they're able to, they are, they are the SMEs, so allow them to fix these issues themselves. Thanks, Brian. So earlier, Brian, we discussed the immediate trends. In terms of future trends, what do you see coming down the track? Um, I think, I suppose I've, I have a, a long-term, long-term view of this, but something, something that really excites me at the moment is uh, the kind of push towards AI and natural language processing. Um, I'm not sure if, if you've seen in the last, only in the last couple of months, these, these text-to-image AI bots that are that are creating images based off text inputs um, that like a DALI and stable diffusion and things like that. Um, so there is really, really amazing tech. I don't think it's a million miles away from, right, I want to automate this process. I mean, we were talking about no code, low code at the top of the top of the call. 
what about the next stage of that where you can just speak to the to the computer and tell it what you want it to do tell it how you want it to automate the process and and update and change and and whatever you need to do as you're going until you have something saved down and you have a, you have a workflow automated um i don't think we're a million miles away from that yeah to to come in there as well julian um there are look there's some really exciting themes and trends that we're seeing where there's some early successes um brian you mentioned ai and um natural language processing machine learning and you know in many ways it feels like you know um the technology world and the industry we've been talking about this for a long time with, with some people might observe limited success but actually you know if you look um even as consumers if you look into our homes um you know working with things like uh uh you know uh, home devices to to turn on different appliances etc you know if we if we went back 20 years that was a bit of that's that's maybe seen as a quantum leap and brian to your point actually now you know having having business users and subject matter experts talk to machines to actually get the outputs they want i i actually don't think we're a million miles away from that there's some really interesting work being done and natural language processing a lot of a lot of neat use cases are live at the moment and you can only see that increasing so again no that that's something that if you if you jump forward 10 years you'd like to take we think we've made some kind of quantum leaps there you know going beyond that quant quantum computing is something we hear about a lot um we're not there yet um it might take a bit longer but i would say that that again opens up many doors to be able to do um exponentially uh more powerful computing um and it'll be interesting to see where that takes us in the industry albeit it might be more than than 10 years away at this point you know so patrick you don't think we need to fear a robot taking over our jobs in the in the near future not in the next five to ten years although we i think we will continue to see automation um we've seen many uh, successes in, in in more simple automation over the last 10 years um we'll see more more automation but but i think we're i think we're safe for the moment julian i okay, think uh good. just to jump in on that one um i think we were we were talking earlier about the the difficulty in getting getting talent I think one of the big things here is, and they're right, young people don't want to be doing these these manual data entry tasks that we're probably used to doing for years and years and years, and it was just the way it was. Um, having these, these solutions in place that can automate these repetitive manual tasks, it's going to be an empowerment to to organizations it's not going to replace jobs it's just going to make people's jobs better and, and more rewarding and people will be doing value add work instead of data entry work 100 percent, brian it's it, it's really about um allowing people to do more value add isn't it um and removing these more um manual repetitive tasks um uh, yeah i think that'll be key actually in terms of um helping people to 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 empower people and help people realize that that actually it's a it's um it's a positive step forward instead of a threat you know absolutely okay so as we've seen from all of our discussion to date technology is an ever-changing industry 
So what are the key items your clients are looking for and, and how can your companies enable these? Um, thanks again, Julianne. I mean, recurring themes, we've touched on some of them. So um, and we might come back to them again, but look, I think actually, you know, it's 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 one that's been there um, in many ways forever, and it's not going away. But it's look, it's it's really strong customer success and client relationship management. You know, clients ultimately want to be heard and and understood, um, and knowing we can respond to their needs and help them bring about change. And and Brian touched on it earlier is is that kind of that discussion around value and what's the return on investment that they're getting and in many ways it, it often goes beyond just the cost it really is it's turning the conversation into a return on investment discussion and what's the value proposition um and i think i think over the life cycle of doing business with clients it, it's about that customer success and and the relationship and knowing that you can work with them in responding to change and that you know we touched on topics earlier like regulations etc it's a fast moving environment there will be changes and it's just being able to work with them and and help them articulate the value proposition and provide them with solutions that empower their staff to be able to make changes um essentially enable them to be more agile and and provide tools that bring about that flexibility that that's a theme that's in many ways it's it's always been there but it's just um it's just no i think i think it's 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 crucially important so you know that goes back to, to customization and we touched on cost of course we want to bring about um you know lower you know cost effective solutions but but it's really about helping to articulate that value proposition you know absolutely patrick agreed um i think you touched on it there it's it's always been there i think it's just that the, the rate of change is probably increasing um you know as new regulations come out and as new pieces of software come out and new innovations come out um just the, the rate of change is increasing and increasing so i think something something we're seeing a lot of is companies are almost looking to partner with software firms to say right here is here is the job we know you can do and we know we need to solutionize at the moment but we also know that things are going to change and, and this might not be the same thing in 12 or 18 or 24 months time or there might be another thing that we need to do with you um so it's really really firms looking to partner with software companies and uh and have that relationship where they can scope out problems together and look for solutions together yeah it's it's interesting brian it's it's something you i'm sure you've maybe observed yourself but um it's also even understanding isn't it you know that the, maybe the different risk appetite some clients will have and and understandably some might be in an environment where um it's just naturally more risk adverse you know the the need to have um the margins for errors you know it's so low um and sometimes they just won't be a first mover in terms of embracing new technologies and you'll naturally get a curve of you'll find some firms that will naturally fit into that more of a, a first mover and they might experiment and, and partner with some new emerging technologies and and other firms in many cases 
very understandably um because of the risk appetite um might be more of a follower but i think then you know industry case events it's it's helping show some of the success stories with those first mover firms and those partnerships um we probably saw with the cloud you know the we, we have a, i can't believe we haven't mentioned the cl cloud yet <laughs> but um it's you know we're, we're still helping um i would say brian both of us we're probably still helping firms transition um from traditional data centers and, and kind of architectures to a more cloud enabled environment um it's a journey patrick it, it really is it really is a journey um and again thankfully if we if we look back in 10 years right there's been huge change there in terms of attitudes and perspectives but um as you say brian we're still very much on that journey um we're we're, we're not fully there yet um but but i think that's an interesting perspective is acknowledging clients kind of risk appetite as well given the nature of their own business you know so I'd like to thank Brian Lahan of Fundrex and Patrick Horgan of Validate Me for joining us today to discuss technology trends in the industry and for providing valuable insights on technology. Thank you both. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Julianne.